0: Hello, and welcome to the EMG Gold Podcast. I'm Spencer Gore, CEO here at EMG Health, and I'm pleased to be bringing a very exciting episode to you today with Carol Lynch, Chief Business Officer at Sandoz. Our Head of Marketing, Mark Coskella, caught up with Carol a couple of weeks ago to discuss a range of important and relevant topics, including things such as gender parity, mental health, and climate change. It's a great conversation, so I hope you enjoy it and find it as insightful as I did. Over to you, Mark.
1: Hello and a warm welcome to this week's PMG Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskila, and today I am delighted to be joined by Carol Lynch, Chief Business Officer at Sandoz. Carol joined Sandoz in 2014, first as their Global Head of Biopharmaceuticals, then as their President for the US and North America in 2018, and finally took up her current position as CBO earlier this year. Carol is an accomplished and highly respected figure in the pharmaceutical industry, having been recognised through several awards, including Fiercest Women in Pharma, Women Worth Watching, Medicine Makers Most Influential and Pharmaceutical Times Marketer of the Year. She also holds a degree in zoology from the University of Sheffield. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So welcome to the podcast, Carol. How are you?
2: I'm doing really well. Thanks, Mark.
1: Great. And thank you so much for coming on. Let's, uh, let's get cracking then. So Um, As I mentioned there in the introduction, you studied zoology at the University of Sheffield. But what informed your decision to follow a career into the pharmaceutical industry?
2: Thanks, Mark. Well, I always knew that I would work in a science-based field. But as I was learning more, I realised that what I was really drawn to was marketing. And when I was interviewing for my first marketing position, I was told it was down to me and one other candidate. And the other candidate was hired because they had sales experience. And the hiring manager gave me some advice, which was invaluable, which was to go and get some sales experience. And it was the best advice I think I've ever gotten because that set my career path in the pharma industry.
1: Great. And, and, and how long did it then take till you, you kind of migrated across into, into more of a, a marketing role?
2: So I did a sales role for two or three years, and then actually during the formation of Novartis, I moved into a marketing position. so it's about three or four years and I moved into uh, through sales leadership but then into marketing yeah, yeah.
1: great and, and I guess on on that topic of, of, of leadership, you're, you're a, a staunch advocate for increasing the number of women in, in leadership positions in the industry. What was your experience of rising through the ranks to a leadership role and and how do you support fellow women in your organisation to do the same?
2: Great question. You know, creating a more inclusive society is about celebrating diverse opinions and backgrounds because we've all got our own unique experiences that we can bring to the table. And when we come together to welcome and celebrate this, we can really create a better, more equitable world. Now at Sandus, this means that we're creating sustainable programs and policies that really support minority and underrepresented groups. So for us, this includes a variety of things such as parental leave for both males and females in the organization, flexible work policies, executive sponsorship of our employee resource groups, but then also more on the more formal end of things, it's also around you know, D&I training so that we really raise awareness and understanding about diversity and how to create this inclusive environment. But you know what? I think that celebrating our differences is just not enough. You know, we also need to remember to acknowledge that we're mostly very similar, we're very alike. And in my experience, you know, throughout my career, it's been that it's only when we have comfort in our similarities that we can truly value those things that make us different. And then we can all collectively benefit from them. So that's kind of been my experience throughout my career so far and what I'm trying to do to make sure that we continue the great work that I've seen make so much progress over the last 20 years.
1: No, it sounds um sounds fascinating and sounds like there's lots of positive things that, that that you're doing within your your business i guess another really important issue is is the one on on uh, mental health in terms of uh, organizations and 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 you're obviously a leading voice on the importance of of that in the workplace particularly in the face of the challenges created by the pandemic so how can we ensure that employees feel safe and comfortable to ask for help when they need it
2: Yeah, I think we're all going through this process now right? where we're trying to work out what our new normal is going to be. And as a leader in the organization, one of the things that I'm focusing on is, is making sure that we're really taking care of the collective, you know, making sure that as an organization, we emerge from this in a really good place now you know you know as well as i mark that mental health for a long time has really been a taboo subject but that's really starting to change now both within the workplace and, and outside the workplace as well and what we know for certain is that when you don't talk about something it gives it tremendous power to really isolate the people who actually most need help so we really need to make sure that it's safe to speak up to have that discourse and that conversation and to create a strong social fabric in the workplace As well as outside the workplace, you know, in our communities, social media, and, you know, the surround sound approach to this. And honestly, we need to put as much effort behind maintaining and building our mental health as much as our physical health. Because honestly, it can be the difference at the end of the day between thriving and doing well or barely surviving. And as you mentioned, this has been really true during the pandemic. And I think the pandemic in some ways has really done us all a favor because it's shone a spotlight on it. And it's allowed us to have those conversations so that when you ask somebody, how are they doing? I think during the pandemic for the first time, you really felt that people meant it and people were really answering how they really felt as opposed to just saying, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And, and so for me, it's about how do we continue this narrative and how do we continue to normalize this kind of conversation in the workplace? And and you see it in so many platforms now. So I think we all just need to jump on board and make sure that we make this a sustainable narrative rather than the one after in the pandemic.
1: It certainly feels like uh, tr- trust is a really important uh, kind of ingredient in in this.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, I think it was about leading by example, right? And therefore, showing people that you trust them by sharing what you're personally going through. And it became very normal. Uh, You probably had the same experience early on when we would talk about the struggles we were having with adapting to working from home. You know, some people had... um, family members that they were separated from others had family members that were way too close and always in the background on their call so I think everybody had their own experience at the beginning and sharing it and talking about it I think really did help to build trust in our environment.
1: I guess you also talked on there uh, talked a little bit in there just about kind of physical health and and is that something that that you kind of encourage team members to do in terms of being active?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, we know, you know, healthy body leads to a healthy mind as well. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yes. it's a virtuous cycle. Thank goodness. Um, actually, one of the things that we used to do in the pandemic was we would do walking uh, team check-ins. So rather than us all sitting in front of our computers, especially when the weather was nicer, you know, we would make a commitment that we would all get out and really do a walking team check-in, and and always start out while we're walking, you know, saying how we were doing. And as part of that, it actually you know, re-energize my own commitment to my own physical well-being as well. So I started going for a walk really early in the morning, you know, before everybody else is up and about. And, you know, for me, that was a real uh, moment of stillness and quiet for me and uh, a real opportunity for reflection and mindfulness. So I really treasure those early morning walks. And, yeah, they were really good for me, I realized, during pandemic. And I've been encouraging my family members to do the same, not just people at work
1: not agree more. I've certainly seen uh, quite a bit of wildlife I wouldn't have seen uh, seen otherwise <laughs> here in here in the UK. Um, so, so moving on to to I guess and an really an equally important issue and one that's very topical at the moment is obviously the is climate change and and, and that's another uh, area where you're you're obviously keen to make an impact. So what is sandals doing to reduce the environmental impact of of its supply chain and and what do you think the industry more generally must do as a whole to reduce its footprint?
2: Yeah, as you said, you know, environmental sustainability is is really a topic right now, and and recently we saw the report come out from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and if you've read that report, then you see just how important it is that we all do our part to make a difference, you know, whether it's as an individual or as an organization, because clearly things are moving faster than anybody ever predicted, even just a few years ago. So it's super important that we all do our part. And obviously at Sandos we have quite a plan in place to make sure that we're doing our bit. Um, but it really starts by understanding exactly how our actions and our consumptive behavior, if you like, has an impact on the environment. And so we've got a clear plan in place with some super ambitious goals, I have to say. And it's about not just how we as Sandos and our parent company, Novartis, operate, but also the expectations that we set with the companies that we work with, including our suppliers. So, as I mentioned, we set really ambitious targets uh, across climate, waste, and water. So, for example, um, We aim to be fully carbon neutral by 2030 and to achieve net zero by 2050 at the latest. Now, it seems like it's a long way off, but there's an awful lot to do between now and then. Um, From a water perspective, we aim to be water neutral in all of our areas of all of our operations by 2030. That's obviously including our manufacturing and then plastic neutral as well by 2030. Now, fortunately, we have a number of areas that we can really make an impact and drive change in our organization through our manufacturing operations, but also through the way that we commercialize our products and then down to the individual behaviors also of of all of our associates. So we're really encouraging across the whole spectrum, new ways of working, embedding it into the DNA of just how we do business. So that's not really a project on the side, but it really just needs to be about how we live our lives. And I was really happy when actually one of our employee resource groups got together and they're called the green team. So they look for the everyday opportunities to make a difference, um, whether it's to do with reducing the amount of food that gets produced each day for the people at work so that there's less wastage through to no longer having the vending machines on site that have water, but really making sure that water is available with recyclable bottles, you know, that you can refill and reuse. On site, so lots of different efforts in place, large and small, but they all make a difference at the end, and that's the important thing.
1: Thank you. I guess it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, the the, the small changes can have uh, much bigger outcomes.
2: Absolutely, and you know, one small change leads to the next and the next, and before you know it, actually, it's quite a big change. So uh, I think anything. Even the very smallest thing, if you can make a new habit, I think it can make a huge impact on, on our environment.
1: Oh, absolutely fascinating and really interesting to hear about, you know, the kind of making it more plastic neutral, etc. So, um, no, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, moving on. So, Sandos is also uh, active in the space of biosimilars. So, what impact do you believe these could have on improving patient access to critical medicines? especially in the light of the stresses and strains on healthcare systems caused by the um, by the pandemic
2: yeah so biosimilars actually have been around in Europe for an awful long time um, you know we're in our second decade now of biosimilars but in the u.s um, we're just, we're still in that first decade the first biosimilar was actually introduced just six years ago. And with the introduction of biosimilars, it was really widely thought that these new treatment options would really drive down healthcare costs. And that's through competition, right? By launching biosimilars, you actually bring competition to the biologics as they're losing their exclusivity. So there was always a big promise. And I think the question was always, would we be able to deliver on this promise? I think in Europe, we've absolutely done that. There's been significant savings reports that have been demonstrated numerous times at many different levels across different countries and different therapeutic areas. Also, uh, with proof points around expanding access to medication to patients as well. Sometimes it's, for example, in the UK, led to the changing of guidelines around use of products that have been expanded to include a broader patient population, including in the UK with Kilgrastim. And in other countries it's actually just allowed access for the first time to the actual molecule itself that wasn't previously available because it was just out of reach from a cost perspective for those um, for patients in those countries so access has really been expanded on two different levels but i started out by mentioning the us and i think that's one area where we really should focus because from a population perspective clearly you know you've got a, a big population of patients there who are still not fully benefiting from uh, the fact that biosimilars are now available, so we have seen important progress, I have to say, since they were introduced. But progress has been slower than anybody expected in the US, and certainly slower than we saw in Europe as well. And that's really because there have been some barriers in place, such as misinformation campaigns and misaligned reimbursement incentives in the system as well. So. As a result of that, U.S. patients have really not been able to reap the full benefits of of biosimilars so far. There was a report that came out towards the end of last year that showed that there were patient out-of-pocket savings that have been lost due to insufficient biosimilar utilisation in the U.S., and that was almost $250 million. So really significant amount of savings that are available that are not being utilized right now and of course this increases each and every day while other patients are not having access to these products so clearly you know we've faced these challenges during this past year we've as from the pandemic has really underscored how important it is to have a sustainable healthcare system where we can really drive access for medications but also to utilization of the system itself so, whilst we've made a lot of progress with biosimilars, we're delivering on the promise in some parts of the world. Clearly, still quite some work to be done. And as a pioneer in biosimilars, I can tell you that Sandos will continue to advance these solutions and help make sure that biosimilars deliver on the promise that's still out there.
1: Great, thank you. You, you touched on um, kind of misinformation being a, a challenge in terms of its the kind of the uptake of biosimilars. How how, how do you go about?
2: dealing with that? Uh, A couple of ways. So there are some um, systemic ways in which you can do that through a direct communication to the company concerned to make sure that they're clear that they are contravening good practice when it comes to communication to patients, for example, or to physicians. Um, But in the US, we've also had support from the FDA who collaborated with the FTC to make sure that they were also keeping an eye out for misinformation campaigns. And actually the FTC has acted when they've seen campaigns that have been providing that incorrect information that was really serving to cause fear around biosimilars, you know, focusing more on the unknowns rather than the knowns. And the FTC has really stepped in and acted on that, be- on our behalf as well. And I say our behalf, I mean the industry and uh, not send us. So, um, yeah, well, so we've had, you know, obviously we do things ourselves, but also with the support from federal agencies has uh, really supported that effort as well.
1: Great. no, Thank thank you. And, and presumably, obviously, you referenced the US and, and, and the UK quite heavily there, but presumably it's a similar picture, kind of uh, more internationally as well.
2: Um, In Europe especially, I think you've got a very well-working framework for biosimilars. The regulatory pathway is very well exercised now, and I think there's a lot of confidence around the approval of biosimilars in Europe, plus the adoption is uh, is really, whilst it was slow to start with, I think we've really reached a place now where biosimilars are very rapidly adopted. So the framework and the way that biosimilars work in Europe is, is pretty secure now, and I think The time has passed for any of those misinformation campaigns. So I think they've got too much of a foothold now for that to be effective. So it's really in those markets where biosimilars are still finding their footing that you see some of these less helpful, situations. Also in Europe, I mean, it took some time as well to get the reimbursement systems aligned, but they found their way. And obviously for the US now, we look to model some of the learnings from Europe in the US and see how they can be applied to speed up adoption of biosimilars. But as I say, really making great progress in the US as well. I don't want to miss that because with the most recent launches of biosimilars, we've seen faster adoption than we did the previous wave of launches so we're making progress still some work to do but making good progress.
1: Right. So it certainly sounds um, sounds like great progress is being made there and it's uh, a really um, exciting time. Staying on that, that theme and, and the last question today obviously being an exciting time for, for Sandor's and, and the industry what's your standout moment of the year so far been do you think? Oh
2: what a good question. I mean obviously from I think from a, a science perspective there's been so many great things happening and certainly last year one of the things that really impressed me was the collaboration that we saw across industry. So companies that would usually compete with each other were collaborating really well and and that was really amazing to see made me very proud of our industry. But I have to say my standout moment for myself, a very personal one, but also incredibly simple, was just over the last few weeks, so maybe there's a recency effect here, but was being able to actually sit down in a restaurant and have a simple dinner with some of my team members, which we haven't been able to do for such a long time. And for several of those team members, it was the first time I'd actually met them since I started in role eight months ago now. So. It was a real pleasure, a real joy. And we sat and we laughed all evening. And uh, it was a real energizer, a real buzz for me. So that was my standout moment so far.
1: No, It's, it's, um, it's incredible, isn't it? That, that, you know, a couple of years ago, if you'd said, oh, well, I went, I went for dinner with my team, you'd be kind of saying, well, <laughs> that, that's nice. But, you know, but, but yeah, no, I, I couldn't have yes, that exactly. sentiment uh, anymore.
2: No, it's a bit like you seeing your wildlife for the first time. I think it's the simple pleasures in life are much more meaningful these days.
1: Exactly. Well, I think I think that's probably a, a really nice point to um, to end um, end the discussion. So um, it's obviously been great speaking to you today, Carol. So thank you so much for taking the time to to, to join us and and sharing these uh, these insights.
0: And that's it for this week. Thanks to Carol for taking time out to join us on the show. I think we can all agree with her sentiments of the small things mattering much more as we emerge from the peak of the pandemic. So thanks for tuning in this week, and don't forget, of course, to subscribe so you don't miss the next show. We have our new episodes coming out every Tuesday, and in the meantime, if you can't wait until then, go and check out our brilliant articles, interviews, and much more in our sister publication, Gold Magazine. Until next week, take care and bye for now.